0: A wonderful, wonderful morning of worship and praise already as we prepare our hearts to hear the Word of God. We continue to move uh, closer and closer to the cross as we journey uh, with Jesus. And we do focus upon the cross today, even though it's Palm Sunday, we're combining these two. Uh, We've been in this journey together now for, I think, six weeks uh, beyond the cross, leading to the hope of Easter. And we celebrate that next Sunday in a glorious Easter celebration Sunday. And I trust that you're prepared for that and invited people and have done some praying to prepare for that. But as we come to today to worship, the shadow of the cross is beginning to literally fall across Jesus' life. Uh, we see as we enter into this scene in his life today that Jesus has already been uh, betrayed by Judas, he's been arrested in the garden. And he's then been led to the the high priest for uh, the mockery of a trial at the wrong time and the wrong date and all that could be wrong about that. But in their fury of rage against the righteousness of Jesus that he claimed uh, they were willing to do anything they could to get rid of him and put him out of their life. And so then here at the time of that trial then we see as we looked last week at, at Peter's denial and his disowning of the Lord Jesus Christ. What emotions must have been flooding the very heart of Jesus as he was confronted by rejection and despair and, and disownment uh, and, and false accusations at every turn. All of this was just battering him as he stood there innocent before all of these groups of people. And then knowing that they could not, the high priest could not put Jesus to death. They had to come up with another reason for why they were bringing him to trial. And that is they were accusing him of treason that he claimed to be king. And so they took him to Pilate knowing that Pilate then had the power that could put him to death. Pilate had no interest in dealing with Jesus. The only reason that he dealt with this issue was because of the mob of people that were there crying and, and shouting for the crucifixion of Jesus. And so then we see that Pilate remembers an act that he can do. The customary to release uh, during that season of the year one prisoner on behalf of the people. And so he thinks about uh, uh, Jesus and letting him go. But that's where we find that, that Pilate has been warned by his wife not to have anything to do with Jesus because she calls him a righteous man. And while Pilate is thinking about this ritual of letting him go, another name comes up and that's the name Barabbas. Pilate remembers a man by the name of Barabbas that was being held in prison. Matthew says Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. John says that he was a rebel. If you look with me in our scripture today at Mark 15, 1 through 15, we'll see what Mark calls him. As we pick up the story, uh, as Jesus is being led closer and closer to the reality of his death on the cross. Very early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, are you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. How does Mark describe Barabbas? Did you pick up on that? Mark tells us that Barabbas was a murderer. What a story we enter into. You get the picture about Barabbas and his life? Barabbas was an evil man who had committed so much sin in his life. The prison where he was being held was perhaps only about 2,000 feet away from Jesus was being held on trial. He could not hear and understand what Pilate was saying, but he could hear the crowd. And he heard the crowd shout Barabbas, and he thought maybe again they were referring to him and his guilt. And then he couldn't hear Pilate again when he talked, but then he could hear the crowd shout out, crucify him. In answer to Pilate's question, what shall I do with Jesus, the King of the Jews? So, Barabbas probably honestly thought, this is it for me. This is it for me. They're calling my name. They're calling for me to be crucified. And then he hears the footsteps as they come down the hallway coming to his cell. And then amazingly, the cell door is unlocked. It swings open. And they tell Barabbas, you are free to go. Someone else is going to die in your place today. And then the attention goes back to Jesus where he was beaten and ridiculed and ultimately crucified and nailed to that wooden cross where he would die on Calvary. But the story of Barabbas is our story, isn't it? Jesus died in his place. And in doing so, Jesus died in our place. Barabbas' name, interestingly is a Hebrew name which literally means son of Abba or son of father. Pretty generic, isn't it? Because everybody is a son of their father. Every person is a child of his or her father. Every male is the son of his father. Every female is the daughter of her father. That's an interesting generic term for that, as he has that. So that some people say that that was done so as Jesus died in the place of Barabbas, then he died in our place for everyone. Some other writers say that this was a, a generic name so that Barabbas' family would not be disgraced by his murder and insurrection and everything else that he had done. And some other writers say that he was actually the son of a well-to-do very famous rabbi. And for that reason, he also did not want to be identified as to who his lineage actually was. But when we focus upon Barabbas, we see that both for Barabbas and for us, that Jesus died as a substitute. And that's where we focus today on Jesus being the substitute and the substitute of our Savior. I read what I thought this week was something very, very interesting. In China, the, the wealthy people can avoid prison terms by hiring what they call body doubles. Uh, And incredibly true stories about how the super rich in China get away with pretty much everything including murder. Two examples. A 20-year-old man named Hugh uh, was drag racing his friends when he struck and killed a pedestrian. And although he received a three-year prison sentence, all the allegations arose that the man appearing in court and the man sitting in the prison cell was not who at all but a hired body double. In another case, the owner of a demolition company that illegally demolished a home hired a destitute man and promised him $31 a day to be his body double for every day that he spent in jail. In China, the practice is so common that there's even a term for that, and it is called substitute criminal, substitute criminal. Jesus was a substitute that day for Barabbas. Jesus died in the place of Barabbas. Jesus Christ was the original substitute criminal. See, Jesus really did die in the place of Barabbas because the people made a choice. It was either going to be Barabbas or Jesus of Nazareth. And when they made that choice, Jesus literally became the substitute for the criminal, Barabbas. In some way then, Barabbas becomes a type of all of us in that Jesus died in his place and Jesus died in our place. And just like Barabbas, we're set free because Christ became our substitute. He became a curse for us that we might be released from the curse of the law that demanded death for sin. So you might ask, oh, how am I like Barabbas? I'm not a murderer. I'm not one who has led an insurrection. I'm not one who has blasphemed the name of God. How am I like Barabbas? Well, Barabbas was simply a sinner, and he was condemned to death. Well, We might not be a murderer, but we're sinners, and we're deserving death. The Bible tells us in Romans six twenty three that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that's every one of us. We're all sinners. And we're lost and hopelessly lost in the eyes of God. And on our own we can have a relationship with him. We're sentenced to death because Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, that's spiritual death. But instead of having to die, God sent Jesus to the cross as a substitute for us. So this morning as we prepare our hearts to share in this very sacred sharing of the bread and the cup that remind us of the sacrifice of Jesus, there are just two basic principles I want us to get across today. The first is that the cross tells us that there is more love in God than sin in us. The cross tells us there is more love in God than there is sin in us. We have to be reminded of the fact that God's justice who is righteous and holy demands full payment for sin and that is death. But in His mercy God provided a substitute. He provided a substitute that day for Barabbas. In the Old Testament in the 17th chapter of the book of Leviticus we are told that on the Day of Atonement the priest would go into the holy place and offer a sacrifice for his sins and then he would take two goats. AND THEY WOULD cast LOTS AND ONE GOAT WOULD BE KILLED AS A SACRIFICE AND THEN THE OTHER GOAT THEY WOULD PLACE THEIR HANDS UPON HIM IN A SYMBOLIC gesture OF THE TRANSFER OF THEIR SINS FROM THEMSELVES TO THAT GOAT AND THAT GOAT WOULD BE SENT OFF INTO THE WILDERNESS AND HE WAS KNOWN AS THE SCAPEGOAT. WHEN JESUS WENT TO THE CROSS HE TOOK ALL OF OUR SINS AND TOOK ALL THE FATHER'S PUNISHMENT FOR OUR SINS. Roland Banton, in the the life of of Martin Luther, said that on one occasion when Martin Luther and his wife, Katie, were having evening devotions, uh, Martin Luther read from the account in Genesis 22 of Abraham willing to offer Isaac on that altar. And Katie responded and said, I just don't believe that God would have his son treated like that. To which Martin Luther replied, but Katie, he did. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 what God did. That God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God treated Jesus on the cross as if he had committed all the sins of the world. Even though Jesus never committed any sin. God treats us today who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and accepted His offer of salvation and His substitute for us. God treats us today as though we are righteous, even though we still sin. We're sinners in the sight of God. You see, Jesus did not die on Calvary simply to fulfill prophecy from the Old Testament. Neither did He die on that cross simply as a human sacrifice to appease what some would see as an angry deity. But the Bible clearly and frequently tells us that I was as a God of love and mercy and that Jesus died on the cross to show the extent to which God will go to reveal to those of us in the world just how much he loves us. The cross is the most dramatic reminder of God's unending and unmerited grace. The Apostle Paul reminds us of that in Romans 5.8. God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 tells us this is the heart of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, the cross reveals the love of God more than anything else. And it reminds us that there's more love in God than sin in us. Then the second principle is very simply this. The cross reveals the saving power of Jesus. You see, the cross confronts us with the sin in our life. And it shows us that there is more love in God than sin in us And because of God's gift, we experience eternal salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. You see, that's the marvelous story of the cross. That it reveals the saving power of Jesus Christ. The cross became the throne of the saving power of Jesus Christ. Christ. On on 2,000 years ago Jesus died as our substitute. He died in our place for our sins. And the cross is forever the throne of the saving power of Jesus Christ. And Barabbas? Barabbas was literally the first person who lived because Jesus died. Jesus died in his place. And the reason for Jesus' death just literally leaps at us from the pages of Scripture. Jesus died that we might live. All the way through, there's this preparation leading up to Easter. We've had some opportunities to wonder about some of the characters in the, in the plot and in the story, fulfilling their role in, in Jesus' passion, his death for us. You know we wonder like what, what would have happened to Judas if he had waited three days and not immediately gone out and committed suicide. You know we wonder what, what were the emotions of Peter. He was close to Jesus during the time that Jesus was being condemned. He had made his way in to the high priest's house and was there by the fire warming himself. But then in the heat of the moment he denied Jesus, he disowned Jesus three times. What exactly was he feeling? He had to have felt elation when later Jesus came and restored him. Even though Jesus asked him those penetrating questions three times, Peter do you love me? Peter do you love me? Peter do you really love me more than these? But have you ever wondered about Barabbas and what happened to him? I wondered about that all week long and I just thought, whatever happened to Barabbas? We don't hear from him again. There's nothing else in the pages of Scripture about him. So, how did he respond? Well, maybe it was just the fact that he was indifferent about Jesus. He was just glad to be released. When his cell door swung open and they said, you're free to go, and Barabbas gets outside and he realizes that that Jesus dying in his place didn't faze him at all. For him it was just say, okay, let's get the gang back together. Now maybe there was just simply a sigh of relief from Barabbas. And Barabbas had to think, boy, that was a close one there, wasn't it? You know, I, I almost didn't get out of this one. I've been in some tight binds before, and that one was tight, but that, boy, what a relief that was tight. Or maybe, perhaps, I would hope that the substitution of Jesus for Barabbas had a profound impact and influence on Barabbas. That maybe somehow he made his way to the foot of the cross. And he looked up at Jesus on that cross. And he either thought or he said, That should be me. As he watched Jesus die on the cross. We don't know what Barabbas did, we can only speculate. But we do know what Jesus did for us, and we still can respond to that. You see, Jesus was executed for the crime for which Barabbas was actually guilty, but at the same time, Jesus was dying for the sins for which you and I are guilty. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 talked about the suffering servant who would be Jesus, And he said, "'Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed.'" And the words of Peter tell us, "'He bore our sins in his body on the cross, and by his wounds... We have been healed. The difference the cross makes for Barabbas and the difference the cross makes for you and me, simply confirmed in these three observations. Number one, Jesus substituted His death for me. When the crowd at Jesus' crucifixion was given the choice to release one prisoner, as was the local custom. They chose the notorious prisoner, Barabbas, over Jesus. You see, Jesus was not only Barabbas' substitute, but he was our substitute. He not only died in the place of Barabbas, but he died in your place, and he died in my place. Jesus substituted his death for me. Second observation is Jesus sacrificed his life for me. You see the night before His crucifixion Jesus' disciples had celebrated the Passover with Him. They were remembering Israel's captivity in the nation of Egypt and God was going to free them from their 400 years of, of bondage and slavery in, the promise, in Egypt and lead them to freedom in the Promised Land. And on that night God was going to free them. God sent the death angel over all of Egypt And his job was to go to every home in Egypt and kill every firstborn child, which would force Pharaoh then to let Israel go. And the only way of escape was to kill a lamb and paint the blood over the doorpost of the home. And when the angel saw that blood, he would pass over the house and everyone would be safe. And from that time until this day, the Jews still celebrate the Passover. Later, God would institute the formal system of animal sacrifice so that sacrifice and blood might cover sin. But that was only, that was only a preview into the death of Jesus Christ. Because the writer of Hebrews reminds us it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. There was only one who once and for all could remove the world's sin, yours and mine. And John the Baptist reminds us that it's Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is our Passover lamb who sacrificed his life for me. the third observation is simply this, that Jesus satisfied God's justice for me. The death of Jesus in our place is a substitutional atonement in a theological term. That Jesus was the original substitute criminal dying in our place to satisfy the demands of our righteous and holy God. When something is atoned for, it is paid for. Something is satisfied or a debt is taken care of. And that's what Jesus' sacrifice did. He atoned for our sins for the mercy and justice of God. That may sound surprising, but the cross was primarily not for us, but for God. Since the blood of animals was inadequate to forgive the sins of people, Christ had to die to make that final and full payment to meet the demands of our holy God and to satisfy the justice of God. He did for us exactly what he did for Barabbas. And amazing, before any of us were ever born, before literally the Bible says the foundations of the world were laid, God had already purposed and planned that He would send Jesus to die for our sins. And as the world poured out all that wrath upon Jesus Christ at His trial and at His death, God's wrath against our sin was completely released upon Christ at the cross. The cross is all about three words. Mercy, justice, and grace. God's mercy deferred payment for sin. God's justice demanded payment for sin. But God's grace delivered payment for our sin. Jesus died that we might live. He is our substitute Savior. So while we wonder maybe about the response that Barabbas made, the first person to literally have Jesus die in his place and for him, we don't have to wonder about our lives because we're here today. The cross still confronts us today with the reality of our sin. So, what will be our response? Will it be indifference? Will we continue to live our life without any regard for the sacrifice that Jesus made for us? Will life be business just as usual once this Holy Week has passed and Easter comes once again and we celebrate that glorious resurrection? Well, what will it mean for us? Or on the other hand, will the death of Jesus as a ransom for your eternal soul make a difference in your life. Has it produced a conscious fault that says in your heart, it should have been me." Jesus was the original substitute criminal. Yes, for Barabbas, but for you. And for me. And we remember that sacrifice today as we partake of the bread and the cup.